This week on Ultra 64, we are playing the F1 Racing Series, where the F stands for... fine. Welcome to Ultra 64. We are the Internet's comprehensive Nintendo 64 podcast. Each and every week we are playing a different randomly selected game from the Nintendo 64 catalog, and we are playing it, and we are racing around in long ovoid circles, and we are being very French about the entire thing. And my name is Etienne Gontly. Steve Gontly. Oh, Etienne Gontly. Very nice. Um, I don't, I don't know what uh, Woody Siskowski is in French. Uh, Le Wood. <laughs> Le Wood? Yes, I don't know. <laughs> Le Wood Siskow. Le Wood Siskow. I like it. Yeah. Um, yes, so we are talking about the uh, very European uh, trend of Formula One auto racing. Uh, yes, this is an episode about racing games. Everyone's favorite episode. Please, please stay where you are. We'll come back to fun stuff next week. Put on, but, put on your seatbelts, everyone. You know, that sometimes... Uh, high speed. Sometimes these are the episodes we gotta get through to get to the good stuff. Uh, but... <laughs> We're, we said comprehensive and we meant it. I think I was putting these ones off for a while because even for racing games, these seemed really boring. But <laughs> it we did, had to play four of them. And we played four of them today. So the four games that we were playing incidentally are, and I need to look at these. Uh, we, this is the first time we've had to have the cartridges physically in the studio with us so we can uh, know what we're playing. This so, is the episode of alliteration. We have and, and, and Ultra 64, <laughs> four fantastic Formula One French. Fortridges. Yeah, Fortridges. Uh, so we played F1 Pole Position 64. We played F1 World Grand Prix. We played Monaco Grand Prix. And we played Indy Racing 2000. Four games that all work into the Formula One racing world. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Formula One racing. So I think F1 racing is to Europe what NASCAR is to America. You know, it's it's uh, it's older. It has more refined origins, and Americans don't care about it. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, that's true of all all sports that are yeah, and, like it was your it's football. Like it means something to the rest of the world, and we're just like, eh, who cares about that? Even Canada, we we look at it with some uh, with some derision, you know, yeah. and that's not that far from us. Uh, but yeah, so I I think. Maybe a lot of my perception of what F1 is is shaped by the movie Talladega Nights, <laughs> where <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen plays oh, a uh, right. Formula One racer who is extremely French and married to a man and like very effete and likes to read Proust while he's driving. It's like that's kind of my perception of F1 as compared to NASCAR. Uh, but I've been researching and I've been reading into the history of Formula One and it's a pretty interesting stuff. And I do want to give a shout out to listener uh, 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 Jesse Kramer from Australia who sent me the recommendation to watch the movie Senna which I have been watching so on Netflix right now. S-E-N-A? S-E-N-N-A. Okay. It's about Ayrton Senna, the uh, Brazilian race car driver. I'll get to him in a second, but a uh, uh, very interesting movie. So thank you for the... Uh, and I'm not a, I'm not a motorhead. I don't know anything about this, and it's a very good documentary. Well, I mean, that's the sign of any good documentary, right, is it doesn't really matter what it's about if it's done well. It's it amazing. should be able to draw you in, yeah. yeah, and this one definitely does. So let's go into a little bit of history of Formula One racing. So I was going to make a dumb joke about how come... I mean, there's an F-0, there's an F-1. Why isn't there an F2 or an F3? But there actually is an F2 and an F3 and an F4. Like, it goes up to four. Uh, the only difference and there... And then an F5 and 
it refreshes. Well, right? then they skipped, and then they went to Formula 3000. I know, you missed my computer, And joke. then they got rapid. Oh, I'm sorry. I said at F5, it refreshes. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Which I thought was a pretty good one. <laughs> that, is, that is good. I'm sorry. I was blazing right past that. Uh, so the difference between the different formulas just kind of uh, has you to do with... two parts sugar, mm-hmm. um, one part high speeds, <laughs> and... Uh... And add Chemical X and the Powerpuff Girls become yeah, race car drivers. and that is Formula 1. That's Formula 1. <laughs> Formula 2, you take some ooze uh-huh. and some Ninja Turtles and then two parts attitude. Formula 52, you take Samuel L. Jackson, add a kilt, and shake it up with extra hilarity. And you don't and want to know what's in Formula 69. You do not, no, but it's lots of butt stuff. No, it's not. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so the difference between the different tiers is just kind of, it has to do with the level of experience and it has to do with the specific shape of the car. So like F4 is pretty much just for junior racers kind of trying to break into the major circuits. And Oh, so F1 is like the highest. F1 is kind of the peak of what you're trying to get to. So uh, formula racing refers to a particular type of single-seater auto racing using cars with distinctive wide-wheeled and kind of like wasp-shaped chassis. Mm-hmm. Um, the formula, incidentally, is just referring to the set of rules that each racer must comply with in order to participate. So... My hope that the sport arose from some kind of mad scientist experiment or something, that that didn't pan out, sadly. Uh, the sport was originally named and codified in 1946, but it has its roots in European Grand Prix racing, which goes back as late as 1894. Uh, the first wow. F1 race was held in the French community of Pau in 1950, and then the first championship race took place a month after that. Uh, so it, it got going pretty quickly. They soon, and then the city of Pau eventually... Uh, <laughs> Upgraded to making little plastic motor toys for kids, right? Pow, yes. pow, 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 wheels. <laughs> that, was, that was how they got their commercial. They were always in war with the uh, community of Wham yeah, uh, exactly. in nearby England. Uh, the Automatopoeia Wars, they called it. Um, so the first F1, ra- yeah, I said that already. Uh, in the early days, private racers could sign up independently and bring their own cars. But before long, the star- sport started being dominated by uh, mostly Italian manuf- manufacturers. So Alfa Romeo, Ferrari, Maserati, uh, they were all like got their start in Formula One racing. So the sport had a pretty rough start. So it was a movie that just came out or came out a few months ago with uh, Matt Damon. Oh, Ford v. Ferrari. The, the great dad movie of our time. Right, oh, yeah. Is that, a, is that a Formula One movie or is it's, it a NASCAR movie? It's about Le Mans, which oh. is like stock car racing. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's 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 different from Formula One. Are we going to have to play stock car games for this? Or We already did. It? That was NASCAR. Oh, good. Yeah, NASCAR, oh, stock okay. car. Yeah, we did that. Yeah. You think I'll, I would learn this stuff? But like, We'll have more. I think we have a rally challenge oh, game coming goody. up. V rally racing. That's kind of what uh, Le Mans is. Got it. Uh, so the sport had a really rough start. It was very dangerous. Uh, Rex claimed the lives of 13 drivers in the first decade alone. Uh, it was also proving to be prohibitively expensive, and private racers were soon priced out of the event entirely and just became teams of very well-funded uh, car developers. Because the, the design of the car sort of only functions for these this racing. It's exactly. not like... Yeah, it's not like stock car or NASCAR where it's sort of, you take the shell of a regular car. Like and, a street-ready car, yeah. And sort of pimp it out. That's uh, the gimmick here with F1, and we'll kind of get into that a little more. But basically, you have to build your car from scratch every time. There is no set of standardized tools that you build it from. You have certain specifications you have to meet, but you have to design your own chassis from scratch every time. So it becomes hugely expensive. 
Um, so throughout the late 50s and the 60s, uh, British racers were the most dominant. And then the British-made Lotus racer was proving to be one of the fastest and most innovative cars on the circuit. So the reason we have a lot of the safety regulations we have on modern cars is because Locus, or Lotus was really innovating a lot of those things mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s because they decided their racers were worth more alive. Yeah. Good for them. Um I mean, that's not that safety concerns disappeared entirely. Uh, Racers were still pretty regularly dying in wrecks. In 1975, four spectators were killed when a car went careening off the track, which if you watch a documentary, if you watch any F1 footage, seeing how fast those cars go, like imagining being hit by one of those is like, I imagine you turn into a mist. Like there's nothing left of you. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, in 1978, we saw the rise of maybe the most famous F1 driver of all time, a guy named Mario Andretti, okay. who won uh, six ra- six championship races that year. And then he would return to the sport and he would switch over to IndyCar at the age of 44 and he would dominate the IndyCar circuit. So we'll discuss that in a little while That's and cool. the vague differences there. But, yeah, Mario Andretti, badass. Uh, in recent years, the sport has become much safer, but even more insanely expensive. Uh, the average F1 car can cost upwards of 100 to $125 million for wow. one car. That's paying the driver and designing it in parts and, and everything like that. So it's basically that. exclusively major companies. Major, major funding. companies. There's like a dozen different like major teams that are uh, putting forth drivers every year. There can't be that much money to be made right like in the i mean you'd be surprised this is uh it's it's kind of a spectator sport for europe's elite and it's a major major gambling sport Ah, and in places like monaco where gambling is legal like it's kind of a big industry so that's kind of where the money comes from um but uh, money is is it's really the name of the game i mean that's uh that's i think that's why Maybe it doesn't appeal to Americans as much. Yeah, because, Americans don't care about money. Well, but that's the thing. Like NASCAR, a NASCAR car costs like twenty-five million dollars to make. Like it's it's not a cheap, accessible thing for everybody. But there's kind of a good old boy spirit to everything, mm-hmm. and that's not really the case with F1. F1 is like the erudite, like the gentleman's sport. You know, it is and, very uh, very odd that both of them are sort of not viewed as part of the middle class of society, but like yeah. F1 is viewed like upper class and then nascar is very low it's a very strange distinction even things like le mans which is kind of more of a down and dirty like race is kind of a classier alternative to anything that we offer out here um so a couple little fast facts about f1 uh just for future reference so the governing body of f1 is the fia or the federation internationale de l'automobile fuck that up uh and that was found in geneva in 1904 it essentially oversees all motorsports in europe so not just f1 just any kind of motorsports uh f1 racers can reach speeds of 62 miles per hour in 1.7 seconds and get back to zero in two seconds so yeah you can go zero to 62 and then back to zero in four seconds the, minimi- uh, the minimum qualifying speed for an F1 car uh, is 212 miles per hour. Has a 700- so they have to be able to go at least that fast. They have to so, go at least that yeah. fast to qualify. And it has a 750 horsepower engine. For a while in the 80s, they were letting them use turbocharged engines, which would go up to 1,000 horsepower. And then they decided this was too dangerous and too powerful. So they <laughs> scaled it back a bit. Um, so according, apparently, the, the University of Sheffield tried to do a study where they could scientifically determine who the best F1 driver of all time is. Is. So from their findings, it's a guy named Juan Manuel Fangio, who uh, he won five championships for five separate teams in the 1950s, which is very impressive still to this day. But in most fans' hearts, the names that come up most often are Ayrton Senna, Michael Schumacher, Mario Andretti, Jackie Stewart, Alain Prost, and Nicky Lauda. So 
We were talking a little bit about Senna, uh, Ayrton Senna from Brazil, young guy, uh, extremely talented. It's really cool to watch him drive because his skill was all in, um, he was better at like weather driving than anyone else, like driving, uh, maneuvering wet roads and things like that. He was very aggressive. He was very relentless. And uh, as a result, he died in a race at the age of 34. Too aggressive. Too aggressive, but he's he's pretty legendary. He won six Monaco Grand Prix, which is still the record, uh, more than anyone else has ever won. Uh, and Nicky Lauda is worth mentioning, too, because in 2013, Ron Howard directed a movie called Rush, which was about Nicky Lauda's rivalry with James Hunt, uh, who is another racer. So it was about their uh, clashing in the 70s to win the title. And I did not see that movie, but I hear it's pretty good. I hear it's like the last good Ron Howard movie. So take that for what it will. <laughs> Um, as far as F1 video games, uh, the first ever F1 game was appropriately F1, an arcade racer from 1976, which uh, probably coincided with the the peak of F1's popularity. I mean, it got another big boost in the late 80s thanks to Senna and his rivalry with Alan Prost, but uh, that was probably the, the pinnacle of F1 in America. Uh, still the biggest and most popular title is Pole Position, a game we have discussed on our Namco collection. Yep. Um, and uh, that's been kept alive pretty much as a staple of arcade compilations. So if you've ever bought one, you've probably got pole position on there. Yeah, and that's like the game, just so I remember. It, it, it's very, the way the tracks are designed, and that's very old school racing of like you're looking directly behind the car and you're sort of always centered a little bit and the tracks just kind of veer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's this. Uh, there, there are still annual F1 releases developed by Codemasters who've become kind wow. of, they've kind of become the race driver company like Codemasters they do the Dirt series and the Colin McRae rally and all of those so uh, those are probably fine I'll never know I'd be interested to make I, I wonder if anyone's ever going to make a documentary history of Codemasters yeah from like the down and dirty like sneaking in game genie I love that and, like, yeah the, the gold carts yeah, yeah the gold carts um, to like now they just sort of are in this Found their niche. They're like a legit respectable company that makes good games, yeah. I I think the thing with F1 is that if you're doing it well, then it's really boring. Like, if (laughs) if you're doing everything exactly right and presenting everything really right, then the game's just going to be boring. But for what it's worth, it's definitely not as boring as NASCAR. No, no, in no way at all. Yeah, uh, and it, just the speeds or, or the dynamic like tracks are make it more interesting. Right. Than NASCAR. Well, and that was you know the NASCAR games we played. Mm-hmm. No matter for whatever good things they had going for them, the fact is you were still just going around an oval. Yeah. Only turning left, so it just was so boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like at least these games, I think all of the games we played had the official track licenses. Yeah. And were designed to match the real tracks. Yeah, we just the Monaco looked familiar across all these different mm-hmm. games. Like, yeah, it looked the same. And so, they're just much cool. more like dynamic. They're, they're just what you would expect from like a road racing game. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's jump into our first one here. F1 Pole Position 64. Mm-hmm. This was released September 30th, 1997. So very early one. Uh, developed by Human Entertainment and published by Ubisoft. And this was an N64 exclusive. So Human Entertainment, aside from being an unconvincing front for a secret alien cabal, uh, Human Entertainment was a rather prolific Japanese uh, developer that was active from 1983 to 2000, which is about the time I stopped being active, too. So that's pretty nice. Uh, their, their big claim to fame is developing what is considered the first ever rhythm action game, which is Dance Aerobics in 1987 for the mm-hmm. NES. If you remember that one, it had... Uh, if you remember that one, kudos to you. If you remember that's... that one, you were a mom in 1987. Uh, yeah, because it used uses the track and field pad as kind of like an early DDR mat 
Wow. Like, yeah, so really they, cool. they jumped on that. Their second biggest claim to fame is uh, being an early employer for Goichi Suda, better known as Suda51, oh. who would go on to form his own famous development house called Grasshopper Manufacture after Human Entertainment shut down. So if you played the No More Heroes games, Killer7. Decided that Human Entertainment was too mainstream, and he went for <laughs> entertainment for crazy people. Like, <laughs> Pretty no, much. Yeah. He's, I think he's making entertainment for Grasshoppers. I yeah. think it's Grasshopper Manufacturing, yeah. Uh, so a few other noteworthy games produced by human include the clock tower series of survival oh, horror games which notable. are quite good stadium events the rarest and most valuable video game of all time uh fire pro wrestling that whole series which is kind of a cult favorite and is still going today and their eternal masterpiece the nes classic adventures of gilligan's island my very favorite who, yeah who doesn't <laughs> we should just switch this whole podcast to be about adventures of gilligan's oh, island man. the nes we just replay it every week yeah, yeah. So in Japan, uh, this game is known as Human Grand Prix: The Next Generation. So it's the I like fifth that name a lot. It's a good one, right? Yeah, it's the fifth and last part of the Human Grand Prix series. These were renamed to F1 Pole Position over here, but only the first two got a release in the states. So F1 Pole Position one and two were both out on the Super NES. Then they skipped the next two, uh, and then they got the fifth one released here as this game that we played today. Uh, they don't have anything to do with pole position the Namco game at all. So I actually finally looked up what a pole position is. It is in a, it's a motorsports term that refers to the well, innermost Steve, have spot. You seen the, have you seen the movie Hustlers? <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> I legit love that movie, by the way. Uh, so pole position in the motorsports is a term that refers to the innermost spot of the front row of a lineup before a race. So you're at the finish line. You want to be the innermost front spot on the inside track. That's like the best spot, and it goes to the spot. Oh. It goes to the racer with the best qualifying times. So you're gonna hit the turn. You're gonna hit the turn first. To the inside. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have a, a pretty insurmountable lead right off the bat. So that's where you want to be in the pole position. So this game, I think the most notable thing about this game is that it made me remember I have a Mad Cat steering wheel in my basement <laughs> that has not been used for the entire course of this show. But this this game had the option to use a steering wheel in the controller, and so I'm like, oh shit, I've got a steering wheel. Let's break it out. Yeah. So we got to play with a Mad Cat's uh, uh, steering wheel peripheral, which was uh, more fun than anything else going on in these yeah, games we, we learned that oh yeah that thing existed and we probably could have used it for a lot of the previous games that we had played mm -hmm. um these all seem to detect it pretty well and um some of them had an option to sort of set to the steering wheel but some of them didn't but it still worked fine yeah yeah so i i'm we haven't explored whether or not this translates to all racing games on the n64 i'm wondering yeah fine for these i wonder if I, I feel like this would work fine for mario kart or something yeah. like that but like i don't know maybe i'll break that out later and try that out it's um Lindsay's coming over so she might be into oh, that okay, yeah cool yeah um it's definitely looks like a super nintendo game that, it does, speaking, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of options that this game has, another one of the control settings is to set it to Sene, Senes Control Scheme. That's actually what it's called. The documentary which, I just watched? Yeah, Senes Sene yeah. Control Scheme. Yeah. <laughs> um, Super, yeah, SNES Control Scheme. And so it made me think that this must be part of, a, like, the previous games in this series must have come out for Super Nintendo. Yeah. Um, and this game really felt like a Super Nintendo game. Like, there's a game called Stunt Track FX, I think, for the Super Nintendo, which was one of the ones that used the FX chip. Yeah. Um, we'll be playing the sequel to that pretty soon. Oh, good. Stunt, Stunt Racer um, 64. Yeah, and it's just, it's very sort of all poly blocky and polygonal and you you made the good point that this would look like a really revolutionary super nintendo game like yeah. if it had been released like three years earlier but it's still yeah or it looks like an early sega saturn game yeah like that they're um, clearly still figuring out the polygons so like and the the car models in this game didn't really 
bother me. They're boxy and goofy looking, but that's just kind of what F1 cars look like. Uh, the draw distance here was a big, 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 big problem, like more than the other games. Uh, really big problem. Like there were multiple times where I lost sight of the course because it hadn't been drawn in yet. And then I hit a wall. That's a big issue in a racing game. A second big issue in a racing game is that there is no multiplayer in this game, which oh I gosh, can't yeah. I can't even think of another racing game that doesn't have multiplayer. Even Rock and Roll Racing, which we play for this show, like has a multiplayer mode. Yeah. And that's Super NES. Like I can't think of a good reason why this wouldn't be have a multiplayer mode. I I mean, it's possible that like I don't know, some of these games that sort of were using this technology of like again, this feels like even though it's not related to the old pole position, it has kind of a similar feel in terms of it just feels like you're fairly constrained to the main track. Yeah. Um, or like the old OutRun games. And I think not all of those had a multiplayer. Like OutRun doesn't, pole position doesn't. No. Um, I don't know if Stunt... I think Stunt Track FX for the Super Nintendo might not either. But, but. I, I... Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like such a missed opportunity, especially for a, a console with four ports in it. Yeah. Like... You're not going to have one little multiplayer mode? I mean, like I'm sure there's no way this game would be able to succeed at with uh, four screens. Going that could just be time. it. It was struggling enough on the one player mode. Uh, so Grand Prix is your kind of basic single player campaign mode here. There's also a battle mode and a time trial. But like I said, Mario Kart fans don't get excited. You're battling the computer. <laughs> Yeah, which is super confusing, yeah, because it's just the Grand Prix is play against the computer, and the battle mode is select some computers to play against. Yeah. You can very weirdly, I think, select any amount of drivers to play against you in that battle mode. Yeah. So I was racing, like, 18 other cars. It was pretty chaotic. Yeah, yeah. You don't have a whole lot of customization options in this one. Uh, Pretty basic across the line. See, I'm already forgetting. Yeah, this is... But, like, I feel like the others you had much more customization, and this one was pretty basic. Well, see, here's the thing that's tough about all of these games. I think I feel like a fundamental aspect of these games, much in the same way as, like, a you know, a simulation football game, is they want to give you all of the options to sort of customize and go really in-depth and say, okay, how tight do I want the shocks in my car and things like that. And for um, some people, that means a lot. Like, I think some people are able to look at this and can probably come up with some really great, like, custom specs that would really make your car kick ass. But to me, that's just not fun. No. And the other problem is, and this is true of all the games, is I don't think they do a great job in sort of explaining that. It's clear that all these games were designed for people who are already interested and knew a lot about the sport. Sure. Which totally makes sense. It would be a weird thing to like, I'm going to pick up F1 Racer um, off the shelf without knowing anything about F1. Sure. But it would have been nice if they had put some effort into being like, here's an introduction to this sort of general sport and general rules or... Even when you're adjusting some of the aspects of your car, just have like a little text box that says like, as your shock absorption goes up, you mm-hmm. know, you have better traction on in rain or something like that. Yeah. It's, I mean, this one had uh, a couple of light weather effects that you could turn off. Uh, didn't really do too terrible. This one's just so forgettable, like yeah. immediately, instantly forgettable. Um, it's like the least interesting of these four not very interesting games that we played today. Yeah, I mean, it was... <laughs> graphically the most distinct but not in a good way no no Uh, it it looked like butt it looked like butt the uh the sound the sound in all of these was annoying i think you know they always put emphasis on like these engine sounds and it just they get more high-pitched and worry each time and you're like yeah it's not what i want to listen to yeah yeah i agree 
Um, I, do, I don't have much more to say about this one. Do you have much more? No, it's 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 not a go-to. Not a go-to. Yeah. So, uh, F, looking back, as I forget the title, F1 pole position 64, I give it a fart <laughs> on our scale of fart to 10 stars. Um, moving on to our next game, we have F1 World Grand Prix. This was released July 31st, 1998, developed by Paradigm Entertainment, Video Systems, and Lancor, and published by Video Systems. Also released on PlayStation, Dreamcast, and Windows. So three developers to sort through here. Uh, we met Video System and Paradigm back when we played Arrow Fighters Assault. Uh, Paradigm has also developed the N64 games Beetle Adventure Racing, Duck Dodgers, and Pilot Wings. Uh, they went under in 2007, which left that rumored but never shown sequel to Pilot Wings on the cutting room floor. Uh, Lancor, L-A-N-K-H-O-R, that's a new one for us. They are a French development company that made mostly F1 games, and I think this is maybe their only game that was released in the States. Oh, wow. Um, their big claim to fame over in Europe was the game Mortville Manor, which is a point-and-click adventure game from 1987 that is the first narrative game to incorporate speech synthesis. So, like, uh, I mean, we got the Odyssey 2 here before that, but that wasn't a game. That was just, like, a toy. You can make your Odyssey 2 speak to you. Oh, but right, uh, this yeah. one incorporated into the game. But Lancor went under in 2003. So, astonishingly, this game we're talking about today, F1 World Grand Prix, is in the Million Sellers Club on the N64. 1.6 million copies, to be specific, which makes it the 31st highest-grossing N64 game. That's just under the first Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and just above Turok Dinosaur Hunter. So, you heard it here first. Cars, better than dinosaurs. Better than dinosaurs with guns. Which I think we knew because we're running our cars on dinosaurs. Oh, good point. So, good point. on a roads paved with dinosaurs. Uh, uh, Darwin would say, like, the, like, that's the evolution. It's like the little Pearl Magnum man. There's a dinosaur and then a line and then like <laughs> a Le Mans car. Perfect. <laughs> I definitely want to get like a like a Toyota Turok now. Like I want that to be a car just specifically to like it's the most gas guzzly car you can find because <laughs> it just kills dinosaurs. Anyway, uh, so why was this one so popular? Uh, I, I Are you asking me? Because I don't know. I'm kind of asking the universe because it's a little hard to pinpoint. I think this one came out around the time that racing games were like exploding uh, thanks to Gran Turismo. So this could have benefited mm. from just part of being part of Gran Turismo fever. Uh, it was also pretty well received critically. Most critics said that the N64 version was superior to the PlayStation version in pretty much every way. And it even got favorable ratings to the Dreamcast version, which would come later. So um, the main mode you get to play with here is Grand Prix, which is an accurate replication of the 1997 F1 season. And it has a nearly complete roster of racers. The one big exception was Jacques Villeneuve, who's a Canadian racer for the Williams team, who didn't sign off on using his image. Uh, his stats appear in the game, but the driver just appears as a, uh, a generic American racer named Driver X. Mm, um, so that's that's who that was. Uh, exhibition mode, time trial, and challenge round out the other single-player modes. Challenge mode is interesting because it kind of you recreate real matches from throughout history. So if you're really, they had a similar mode in Madden, I believe. Yes. Um, so if you're into that, uh, World Grand Prix, they got you covered. And the game does have a two-player mode, which, again, seems like a no-brainer. <laughs> uh, but it, all it is is a very simple exhibition race, and I think that's kind of all you want yeah. from a racing game like this. You just want a simple, straightforward, one-track, one race. But it is also only two-player, not four. It is also but... only two-player. But again, I'm not not too bothered by the number of players. I'm just glad that there's more than one player. It does, on uh, it does split the screen and the orientation that I don't like. Oh, yeah, the, the, the vertical. Yeah, the yeah. vertical, which you don't want. Who cares how much like how much you can, the sky you can see? Yeah, you want to see, see the, the road. Turns. You want to see the curves. Yeah, yeah. You've got to see those curves, man. you got to see the 
curves. Yeah, that's why I, I walk by that mini mall, you know, like I don't go in or look at it. It's just like, oh, look, there's a curves. Yeah. And then I go to Cold Stone. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so there was a sequel to this that was released on the N64. It was aptly titled F1 World Grand Prix 2, but it was only released in Europe. And from all regards, it was inferior to this one in every way. Which so, is it was weird that it was only released in Europe, being as this one sold pretty well. Sold crazy over yeah. here. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I guess the... Uh, the F1 fever faded really quickly, as we'll be, see evidenced by our next game being one of the lowest-selling games on the system. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about this one. Uh, it was already an instant improvement over Pole Position. But, so the, yeah, but, but it has nothing to do with that company. has like, nothing to yeah, do yeah, with yeah. it. Totally different game, totally different. But this is just a, uh, uh, in terms of concept and execution yeah. and graphics. Uh, much better. Controls were better. Um, there was a super weird thing in this game where we'd just be driving and your car would kind of just stop. Oh, and yeah, yeah. It, it would, we're like, is there some weather effect on the track that's making you stop or something like that? Or I, this game definitely leans into the simulation aspect. Like, you have to change your gear shift a lot. And mm -hmm. so it's really hard. It's easy to accidentally, like, press the button that puts your car in reverse. And you're like, where's my shift up button? Yeah. Um, this is a game that requires some figuring out this is not just like you're going to play it for 15 minutes and sort of be a master and know what all the things are yeah this is for serious like f1 fanatic racers yeah, uh, it really it's... lets you change every aspect to your car like you can adjust uh the fins at the top and like the shocks and the ways the cards shift and things like that but again it doesn't give you a great explanation of what that does i mean I feel like this is the most accurate to uh, the F1 experience of the games we played, as near as I can tell, because it's at least the most complicated. Sure. Which is, uh, you know, that's I think that's an element of F1 race. I mean, yeah. I showed you a picture of the F1 steering wheel that they use in modern cars. They have something like 45 buttons and like yeah, an it LED like a plain screen. Cockpit. Yeah, because you can control everything. You modify your your torque, your air fuel intake. You you're modifying everything on the fly. Uh, it's incredibly complicated, and you have to kind of be a little computer scientist slash bodybuilder to be able to do F1 racing. It's pretty impressive. Um, but to that end, I think this game, is, yeah, it struggles in the actual playing of it. Like, I can admire the presentation a lot. This is the one that has oh, right. little kind of like sepia-toned uh, preview videos of the track you're about to do. It which like is, flies through in reverse and plays some nice, cool music. Yeah, yeah. Um, Very spa light music. Yeah. And uh, and you get a, an overview of everything you're going to see. And it, it looks nice. It's got This one has, uh, when you're selecting your course, you get nice big 3D maps of all of your courses, which really pop and look distinctive. And your cars look big and uh, uh, like well-developed. They're, they're varied. Each, each one, like each driver drives a very different looking car. Yeah. And that's distinctive, at least. Um, but yeah, in the playing of it, it's just not terribly fun. Like, I, I was struggling a lot just to make basic turns and, like, just to get my car moving in the way that I want without it juddering and flying off. Right. I feel like there were some weather effects on the track that we just couldn't see very well. That's not what you want. Also, if you hit a rain slick, your car shouldn't just stop. Yeah. Should, like you know lose traction or 125 something. million dollar machine it shouldn't be like that reluctant to puddles like i don't know uh the multiplayer was fine it seemed to keep up uh with the frame rate and well frame rate chugged a little bit but the the draw distance was noticeably improved here yeah uh still not great 
but it, it it didn't look bad at all. I don't know. No, I I think that this game. I don't think this is a, this falls into the category of not a bad game, but a game that's not for you and I. No, it's no, definitely for someone who's very into this and wants to get into the nitty gritty. But and it's I, not too fun on it. I actually really want to hear from listeners, especially in like Europe and Australia, to to write in and tell me your F one memories a little bit, like because I'm curious about uh, the the appeal of this for kind of. I don't know, the average person. Like, I, I think there's kind of a fantasy element to F1. Like, all the drivers are very glamorous. All the locations are very exotic. And it, it's so much money and excess and things going around, you know. And, but it's still got kind of this gentlemanly mystique about it. So, like, I get the appeal on an aesthetic level. But, like... Well, the car is still really fast. I mean, you can still kind of watch it and feel like this just isn't my world. This is never going to be my world. This isn't for me. Like this is not for my amusement. I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing to think about. But it's just like, yeah, it it seems on a different plane. You know, like there's there's some sports where classism is intrinsically built in. This and and horse racing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think this is polo. right. Polo. Polo. Water polo, uh, pretty pretty open. Pretty, yeah. Everybody can do water polo. Yeah. Um, since we're talking about water polo, that means I, I don't really have much more to say about yeah, this one. Right, I don't know. How about enough. you? Oh, I thought you were going to transition there. Dude, like, since we're talking about water, water polo, polo 64. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I don't no, have... we can, let's move on. Let's move uh, on to our next one. This is Monaco Grand Prix, released September 1999. I couldn't find a more specific date. My apologies. It was developed by Ubisoft Paris and published by Ubisoft. It was also released on Windows, PlayStation, and Dreamcast. So Ubisoft Paris, presumably based out of Paris, New Jersey, is uh, <laughs> it's doing very well for itself. Since 2015, the company has been developing the blockbuster Just Dance franchise, as well as looking over the Rabbids series of games, uh, the Watch Dogs franchise, and Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon. So they are still very much alive and kicking. Those Just Dance games are like money-making machines. Yeah. Do you know, I think that the probably the last Wii game just got released, and it was Just Dance 20? Or? Yeah, and Just Dance 20 skipped the Wii U, but it was released on the original Wii. So uh, there you go. Go figure. Um, so I have an almost complete collection of Wii U games, and I would say roughly half of them are Just Dance games. <laughs> like, there's so many of them, and I'm never once going to play them. They're fun. Are they? I mean, they're nice and simple. You just shake the Wii U. Okay. Shake the Wiimotes around. I don't think I've ever actually played it, but I don't know. Maybe I'll give it a shot. They're much more accessible than DDR. Okay. All right. All right. Um, so you'll notice that there is no F1 in this title. It's just Monaco Grand Prix. And that's because Video Systems owns the exclusive rights to Formula One franchise at this time. And uh, Ubisoft was not able to get the official FIA license here. So they simply bought the license to the specific race in Monaco. And they built the whole game around that. Plus advertisements. They they got a lot of the <laughs> Yeah, they had the high quality BIC license. They landed and, BIC. And Schweppes. The oh, man. Ale. Um, so the full title of this game is actually Monaco Grand Prix Racing Simulation 2. So it's technically a sequel to the... Also, I don't know why I held up two fingers when I said two. This is not a visual medium. Uh, the full Okay, so it's technically a sequel to the Windows-exclusive F1 Racing Simulation, which was released in 1997, but... Obviously, we don't have the license anymore. Uh, the game uses 17 authentic tracks and accurate stats from the 1998 season, but the teams and drivers were all fictional. But right right on sort of your intro title screen, there's a right in big letters, there's like change names of drivers. Yeah, one yeah. One of the options, so. And I mean, despite all these missing elements, though, like... I think this is my favorite of the three we've of the four we've played today. Yeah, this was like, this game. This again, is a high quality racing not, game. Not for us, probably, yeah. but this game was very good. No, yeah, it, it works very well. It looks nice. There's lots of options, lots of customization. Uh, 
the uh, PC and Dreamcast versions, I believe, had a level editor, which we missed out on okay. here. But, I mean, we can draw our own ovals in our own time. Yeah, there's, there's a pretty good selection of levels yeah. built into the game. So. Oh, let's talk a little bit about Monaco and why that's important mm-hmm. real quick. So uh, it's it's uh, the Monaco Grand Prix is part of the Triple Crown of Motorsports. So it's that, the Indianapolis 500, and the 24 Hours of Le Mans. So it is a relatively short, it's a two-mile loop that runs on a narrow track through the streets of Monaco, which uh, is its own, like, what is it? It's a city-state? Yeah. Or like, yeah, it's like a principality. It's its own country, basically, but not really. Uh, it's generally considered one of the most dangerous and challenging tracks in motorsports because it's on very narrow roads. There are tunnels. There's elevation changes. There's very tight curves. So uh, it's very, very hard. Um, yeah. That is reflected in the game. We, we, we had a good time playing on the earlier tracks, and we went to Monaco, and we're like, why is this so frustrating? In in every one of the games we played, yeah, we hit a wall on Monaco, literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the aforementioned Ayrton Senna has won this track the most, six total, with uh, five of them won consecutively between 1989 and 1994. So that dude's impressive. Uh, the modes that we have here are a time attack, career mode, and championship mode, uh, all for the single players. And again, we're missing out on more options that uh, the uh, PC and Dreamcast versions have because those versions have a 50s retro mode oh, that lets you play as classic cars from the early days of F1 and recreate specific races from that era. Uh, the last other thing I noted about this game is it has the rare N64 load screen. Uh, there's a little shot of a close-up man with a helmet, and it's very brief, but it is a, a noticeable load screen, which just we don't get that very often. Um, so as far as gameplay goes here, um, I mean, the, the thing that this has going for it is it looks very good. Everything looks pretty smooth, and most importantly, everything plays really smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, this game, not since maybe like Ridge Racer or F-Zero X has a uh, racer played this smooth. Like, yeah. It feels really fast. Um, the cars are pretty responsive. Um, it's still easy to sort of lose control and fly all over the place, but um, the cars feel generally pretty weighty. Yeah. Um, uh, I think the gr- the best thing about this game is that you can switch between arcade mode and simulation mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, arcade mode, much much more fun. You're gonna spin out less. Uh, you're gonna take less time in your pit stops. You're gonna. It's not as worried about the real life physics of it as so much as creating a fun and fast experience. Right, but the simulation mode also, if you're into that, it also is still. I would say the simulation mode still plays better than these other games we it's play. It's dense. It's detailed. Yeah. This is the one where we get that weird like computer HUD that appears on the side of the screen that has all of our different little things that we can tweak. Like, it's very in-depth. And again, means nothing to me. Don't know what it means if I have more shocks versus less gas. I don't know, like... Uh, how it's going to affect my race, but, but this uh, is it's the, fun to mess with. This is the game that the core gameplay was good and satisfying enough that if I felt like this was something I wanted to get into, this would be the one that I would reach for. Oh yeah, totally. Like, the totally. other ones, I don't, I can't say whether or not it would be worth trying to understand all their intricate systems because the games aren't that fun. Exactly. Yeah, this one you're you're going to enjoy yourself while you're learning the ropes a little bit more than either of the others. It was possible to win at these, or at least to advance at these, like we did way better. Um, this is this is the one where we just tried like plugging in the wheel to see if it would work, even though it didn't have a setting yeah. for it, and it worked fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, after some control has... snafus where we, <laughs> we yeah, we... somehow I had delisted the accelerate button from my A button, yeah. and I'm like, Steve, I can't drive. <laughs> it won't work, Steve. This yeah. game is busted. And you're like, you're sitting here, like you're turning your wheels, and you're seeing your your car yeah. is like it's moving, it's trying, but it just can't go. You had like two gear down buttons. Yeah, like, exactly. For which some, is yeah. not what you need. Um, yeah. 
and the camera angles actually the camera angles in this game are cool too like there's a lot you, of them yeah there's a lot of them one you just sort of see the nose of your vehicle another one it pulls back a little bit and you see your driver's hands and the big wheels on the side which mm-hmm. is just it, it's a cool effect yeah oh when you drive over grass and go off the track your wheels turn green yeah 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 also it's cool really cool like tiny little touches like that but i mean, I mean that's uh, i don't know there's not a whole lot else to look at in these games right. like as you're trying to look at the track so it's nice having these little bitty details um yeah, I don't know. I can't say much else about it. I just, I, I like this one quite a bit. And this one let us switch the uh, perspective of the split screen mm-hmm. so that we could do horizontal instead of vertical, which made it more fun to play as well. Yeah, there were really no, th- this is the kind of thing, like, there's so many, like, carryover characters and, or characters of yeah, you know, yeah. people. I guess aside from that, like, if you were really intense on, like, I want the official people in it. This game sort of renders the other ones we played obsolete. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no reason to play any other F1 game besides this. Which is weird because this game did not sell well. Did we? No, you know, no. Like, it's a, This one sold only 40,000 copies, uh, which makes it like in the bottom 10 of uh, uh, the N64, which is kind of crazy. And I think it's just because the other versions on other systems just had more. They had more modes, so they probably put more emphasis into marketing it to them. Um, There must have just been a weird thing where people were excited about F1 games. They bought F1 World GP, and they're like, you know, this isn't that fun. And they did not buy more of them. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think think that was a fooled me once kind of situation. Like, people, uh, that I'm curious to see if that World Grand Prix is actually the best-selling F1 game or if there was uh, something that sold better since. I kind of wonder. I kind of doubt it. Like, I couldn't tell you who the F1 stars of today are. Um, Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's move on to our last game today. We are talking about Indie Racing 2000. This was released on June 9th, 2000, developed by Paradigm Entertainment, seeing them again, and uh, published by Infogram, who we remember. Uh, this one was an N64 exclusive. All right, let's talk a little bit about the difference between Indie and F1. All right, so they're very small, but they're distinctive. So F1 and Indie Cars... They have similar builds. They're both fairly lightweight single-seater racers. Uh, but the big difference is that F uh, Indy cars use standardized chassis and kits, and the F1 racers need to build their own from scratch. Okay. And uh, that means one of the biggest differences, really, between the two is cost. Uh, the average Indy car costs between three and fifteen million. The average F1 racer costs upwards of one hundred and twenty-five million. Um, and it's not just it's it's uh, it's in the parts, you know. They use the same chassis instead of tools, but yeah, since they have to build them from scratch, it's it's uh, it adds up. And IndyCar also tends to be dominated by Americans, whereas uh, F1 is dominated by Europeans. Um, some of the iconic names of the sport are Mario Andretti again, because he came back to IndyCar in his 40s, and Al Unser Jr., which is a name you might recognize from Al Unser Jr.'s Turbo Racing on the NES. Uh, that's the only reason I know who he is. Yes. There's there's a list we could make a list of sports stars who you've heard of because they were in a video game. Lee Ivan Tre- Iron Man Stewart. Yes, Lee Trevino. Bill Lambeer. Oh yeah, <laughs> combat basketball. I, I secretly love that game. I haven't that played game. it. I hear it's like kind of an amazing it, shit show. It's very bad, but it's you have to control the direction that your character passes the ball. Oh so god. So you'll just constantly be throwing it out of bounds. <laughs> that sounds weird. fun. Yeah. Um, all right. So our basic modes here uh, we have championship, time trial, and two player. All kind of what you expect, but this one is interesting because it lets you dabble in different vehicles and different types of racing so if you select gold cup mode uh, you can play as one of four different types you can just do regular indie cars you can do f1 cars you can do midget cars which are just kind of very small racers that look kind of like dune buggies and i hope that's not still what they're called and then uh, sprint cars and i had to look those up sprint cars 
are the kind of ones with the gigantic spoilers on the back with like the floppy fins like one fin is low one fin is high those are called sprint cars i never knew what those are called until now so that's just (laughs) interesting to me um and you also can switch between simulation and arcade modes in this one depending on kind of how you want to play um i think the gold cup plays much more arcadey um so what i was confused at and sort of the big one thing you didn't talk about in the difference between indy and f1 and i Mm. don't is it seems like these basically played on the NASCAR style tracks. That's that's the other difference. And yeah. that from a from a game perspective, that is a huge, oh, huge man. difference. The moment we went to the course selection screen and we're scrolling through, and it's like, okay, this first one is Indy five hundred. It's a, that's a zero. Or that's like a big right. Oval. You, most racing games, the first level is basically like you're, Mario, you're, 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 okay. That's the first level. It's just a big oval. You get the hang yeah, of it. Get so used to it. Go to the next one, Steve. Still, a, still an oval, but, but it's, it's like a, slightly squared a little bit on one. This one's dipped a little bit like a kidney, but it's still basically an oval. This one's nearly a trapezoid, but no, it's still an oval. Yes, we went through, what, 10 of these courses? Just all circles. It's just amazing how little of a difference is between the courses, yet the game still decided to put them all in. Yeah, that's that's the biggest knock I can say against this game, is it immediately reminded me of those NASCAR games that we played, which are still among the most boring things we've played but that, in this I mean, entire that show. is a huge knock. It's, it's a huge knock. It's a huge knock, because it starts the same way. You have the rolling start, which... Uh, I don't know. For some reason, I really don't like it. I really don't like rolling starts. But uh, it, Maybe it, I'm just getting NASCAR flashbacks, yeah. but it's just like, I kind of... I don't know. Maybe I'm just too well, used to Mario Well, there's so little Kart. in this game anyway. You feel like at least the starting of the car is like a different element of gameplay, and yeah. they're like taking that out too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say I prefer it to the NASCAR games if you're putting a gun to my head. Like, it's faster. Uh, y- yeah. It's slightly more colorful, but you are still... It, it feels, you're just turning left. It feels much looser. Like, there's less emphasis on trying to make it realistic. Yeah. Like, when you whack into the wall your car will spin around very quickly and just kind of instantly right itself right um which does make it more fun to play but probably less satisfying if you're in it for the simulation yeah yeah it's i don't know it's it's just a very unremarkable racing game i think we're we're beginning and ending with the two weakest games in the series because it's like it looked almost the same if we had played this along with the nascar games i wouldn't have been able to tell the difference aside from sort of this other mode with these different kinds of cars well the car shapes i guess yeah but like the courses looked identical like even the sort of surrounding designs of the courses beyond just their shape i will say like with the nascar games it felt like there's no chance in hell you're ever getting yeah. anywhere. And in these games, it felt like you could advance. You could get into first place. Like NASCAR games, that was our biggest problem. It's just not aside from being slow ovals. There's no getting ahead. You're going to start in last place and you're going to stay in last place. <laughs> like if you fuck up once, even slightly, yeah. you're out. So again, probably creating a realistic situation for racing fans, but pretty boring for non-racing fans. I will will also say, uh, for those following the exciting saga of the racing wheel, I mm-hmm. think this game was the most pleasant to play with the racing wheel. Perfect. Because even though the course was super boring, the racing wheel is very hard to use in all of these games. Um, like putting in the handbrake, it was all just very touchy and pretty frustrating to make sharp turns. Mm-hmm. In this, you just sort of gradually turn it to the left and it's very serene so i do think this game was more fun to play 
all the other games I think were probably less fun to play with the wheel just because yeah. it was frustrating. This game I would say was more fun to play with the wheel because the default game is so boring. As a side note, I think I really hate playing any game with floor pedals. Yeah, like it's that, so hard to get comfortable. It, it's why like I I don't like playing the drums in Rock Band, even though I enjoy like drumming. I enjoy yeah. the I enjoy the part of the game, but the floor pedals. Like, I can never get the chair, like, the exact right height for it not to be, like, agonizingly painful to my lower back. Yeah, and, the, like, the pedal is always way too close to your body. And you're like, I need this to be close so I can reach either the drums or the wheel, but I want the pedal to be way out farther so I can stretch out. This Mad Cats one felt like it was designed for somebody, like, with a big gaming chair. Like, you know, because you're supposed to be, I don't know, it, it wasn't an ideal setup for my coffee table with us crouched over at weird angles. But, uh, I mean, this isn't a review of the Mad Cats controller, but well, mostly it holds up yeah you know? in it, the spirit of reviewing the mad cats controller it worked pretty well worked fine. for just, for a four dollar controller i got at a garage sale or like at a uh, uh retro gaming shop like yeah it's uh, and i i think most people might not even be aware that that existed as a thing yeah like, no so. uh peripherals on n64 even third-party peripherals are not very common um you know we've got my uh, amazing power glove and then this wheel and the various things that you clip into the back of your uh, controller but yeah not very many uh and which is a missed opportunity i love weird ass controllers yeah. i want to play every game on that resident evil 4 chainsaw controller <laughs> um and again we're talking about the chainsaw controllers and water polo which means we may have run out of things to talk about with indycar 2000 yeah which of these games we move on to racing or ranking yeah yeah which Let's of these, race to the rankings if you had to play these on a Resident Evil Chainsaw Controller, in which order would you like to play them? <laughs> That's a good way of phrasing this, actually. I like that. Uh, yeah, well, let's move on to our rankings here. I'll start us off. Uh, sorry, my list is a little all fucked up right now. I don't have the accurate numbers on here. Um, but I'm sure, yeah, for those keeping score at home, it might not match up exactly, but we'll get there. You know, um, Monaco Grand Prix was definitely the best of these games. I still wound up ranking it kind of low just because... This is not a game I'm ever going to play again, yeah. uh, or probably even think about again. <laughs> it's, it's. I think this is a very good F1 racing game if that is something that you are into. Uh, I think this is the best of the bunch on the N64. So I'm putting this at uh, roughly number 108, which is right underneath, uh, or no, I'm sorry, it's right above Wipeout 64. Okay. Um, so that kind of puts it right in that uh, little middle soft spot of games that are not terrible, but uh, probably won't play again. Down below that is just is a World Grand Prix, which I'm putting that a little bit lower down at number 141-ish, just above the South Park game. Okay. Um, and then for IndyCar, I'm putting that down below... Um, oh, let me find it. Uh, down below Earthworm Jim 3D, right above Arrow Fighters Assault. And F1 pole position, uh, the first game we play, but last in my heart, I think is going to go right below... Um, IndyCar 2000, so just right in there. I think those right above the are... NASCAR games. You mean? Oh no, no, oh. it's it's with the the IndyCar. Oh. Yeah, the, oh, which so are confused. I still think these are well above the NASCAR okay. games, but they're not interesting to me. Anyway. Oh man, this 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 list has blown my mind. This, I know. We, we, we become so unwieldy here with these I know. almost 200 games, and now we have to add four generic titles to it. So many titles. So what, what, whatever here. The first one we played <laughs> was F1 pole position. I didn't I didn't like it. It was bad. It looked yep. bad. It played bad. It was number 188, which is right under GT Championship, which is a game I don't remember at all. But oh, if I yeah. ranked it that low, it probably <laughs> goes around here. Yeah, it wasn't good. Um, F1 World GP. Um, you, uh, yeah, it was definitely better. 
Um, I'm putting it right under Arrow Fighters Assault at number 172. Okay. Um, I think it would, but they're by the same developers. Yeah. The same yeah, they are. Quality, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is not super high. Uh, yeah. Mon- I feel like Monaco is kind of like a little hidden find we have here. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, I want to get the word out here. I ranked it a little higher than I probably would personally because I want people to sort of notice it and be like, oh, that game's kind of cool. Like, I, I support if that. You're I support into that. that game, like, check out Monaco Racing. Yeah, my, uh, my score is being heavily, like, affected by the fact that I don't like racing. Games, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So I'm putting it number 86. Cool. Which is right above the track and international track and field game. Okay. Um, and Indie Racing 91, or Indie Racing. I'm putting it number 191, Oof. which is right above the NASCAR game. Oh, man. I don't care how your game plays. If you're only turning left, it's not fun. It's boring. No, it's, it's very boring. And, I, and yeah, maybe this game played better than NASCAR. It didn't matter to me because I don't want to turn left. I don't want to play this game ever again. Yeah. No, I, I agree with all of that. Well, thank you for enduring those yes. uh, games with me, and thank you all for listening through that. I know these are not the most exciting ones to sit through, but uh, we are closing out 2019. This is our last show of the year. Very excited, and I think we need to start 2020 the right way. I think we need to really pick a game that's going to set the tone for the rest of the year. So we're playing Superman. Oh! We're finally playing Superman. Not Superman 64, but that's what it's called. But technically, it's just Superman. This is, uh, this is for those not familiar, one. this is infamous as maybe the worst game ever made. And I'm excited to dig in and see if uh, how it stacks up to some of our uh, ignominious hits on here, like Monster Truck Madness 64, Ooh, which has yeah. been the bottom of both of our lists since we played that like more than a year ago. This okay. has not budged. Okay. Uh, so can I'm Superman curious. Chal- can Superman pick up the monster trucks and shove them forward on the list? Let's find out. All right. Tune in next week for that, everybody. It's going to be a great time. And uh, in the meantime, vroom, vroom, I am a driving man in a funky car. Give me money. <laughs> <laughs> Reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes. The flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. As they speed through the finish, the flags go down. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty, except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago somebody left with the cup But he's driving and striving